0: I am just wondering whether this will work if I have earphones in that may serve to baffle the wind noise a little bit, and it appears that it is. So let's see how we get on. Yesterday's interlude, harking back to my earlier points about leadership, can be safely set aside for now. Because in the meantime, I had an interesting, if brief, exchange with my eldest daughter, who produces her Walk the Pod podcast, which I strongly recommend for a break during the middle of the day, as I am taking now. But the question of the subject of our discussion was something I touched on a few episodes ago if we are interested in what you might call levels of intelligence above those that we usually experience or exhibit what would they look like? Is there a a natural limit to any kind of intelligence? Stephen Wolfram thinks that there is a thing called the principle of computational equivalence which means in effect that Anything that can be computed can be computed using relatively simple principles. Well that may be so, but my feeling is that since computation is itself a child of human intelligence it's likely to be bounded by human intelligence. And of course there is the question of what's called the singularity of the day when a computer becomes capable of learning programming itself and perhaps becoming more intelligent than we are although you might imagine that even an artificial intelligence would suffer from or inherit the same limitations that our intelligence that produced it suffers from if indeed we do but let's set all that aside because until it happens and nobody can really say very much about it. Think instead about what might superintelligence or hyperintelligence entail. And what I'm assuming here is that one can, as one might say, point to possibilities that one can't realize. So for example, I mentioned this an episode or so ago If the notion of being able to think many things at once, say many things at once, retain in a kind of, I suppose it is really, a quantum mechanical superposition of states a whole range of possibilities without necessarily coming down in favour of any one of them. And I do think that that would be a significant step in the direction of hyper-intelligence then what kind of world or if you like what kind of society might emerge if it were populated by beings with those capacities? Somebody's walking the other way so I'm just going to press the pause button momentarily I will come back to you one of the things that I've talked a lot about is what I suppose I've called a premature determination to settle on things, to make one's mind up and sometimes it seems to us that we need to make our minds up in order to allay anxieties that otherwise accompany uncertainty But there are anxieties that are attendant on making our minds up so if it's a mark of a higher level of intelligence to be able to maintain a balance between a number of possibilities any one of which and possibly more than one of which could be useful or the case or the truth or the best then the society, the kind of society that lived its life in such a state would I think automatically be more understanding, more tolerant, more open-minded, less inclined to take sides, less inclined to take things out on other people just because their views are different from yours And so there's already a suggestion that a a hyper-intelligent species might be less intolerant, less warlike, less given to aggrandizement, covetousness and all the other things that go with making our minds up prematurely about things. Okay, so that's one thing. What else might be a mark of superintelligence? Well, one of the things I think might be the ability to think further. And this is interesting in the context of, well, for example, playing chess or proving mathematical theorems or even making plans. That one of the things that we are constantly limited by is our inability to see very far because you only need there to be a few options and by the time you've taken two or three steps down the road there are hundreds or thousands or even millions of options. So looking into the future is to use the I think correct term computably expensive. It takes a lot of computer power to look into the future and comparatively little to look at the past because the past supposedly is just one thing although as I've said several times recently that may be something we should reconsider as well. But looking into the future there are innumerable possibilities and so the more simultaneous things we were able to keep in mind, in balance, in our superposition of the present, the more futures there would be. At least if the future is restricted to only the outcome of a fixed present, its number of options is reduced, whereas if we had many presents a a superposition of many possibilities now, then the scope of the future that we would need to think about would be so much larger. Of course, it's obvious that when we're making a decision, we're aware that there are different options. But the making of the decision is partly motivated by the need to restrict them. To say, well, I can't cope with the vast array of possible futures that arise from all the things that could happen. So I'm going to restrict myself to the consequences of one. And our games, of course, like chess, embody this. We make one move and for good or ill, we then only have to worry about the consequences of that. Whereas if we were to play a game where we kept lots of options open, and perhaps won the game depending on the percentage of futures in which we won, or checkmated the king. That would be an interesting idea, wouldn't it? So that every chess game multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. Some of them we would win and some of them we would lose. And the eventual outcome will be decided on who won the most games, rather than who won one particular game. Well I'm uh, I'm going off into the realms of fantasy a little bit, but the computational expense of calculating multiple futures is very high. If one were to consider just something that had two possible outcomes and take steps along such paths, by the time we've taken eight steps we've got 256 futures. By the time we've taken 10, we've got 1,024. By the time we've taken 24, we've got 16,777,216, a number that I think I've used before. So it's not a wonder that calculating which of those millions of futures is the one we want and indeed how then to get there is computationally so expensive that most people don't do it. And it's I'm sure one of the reasons why so many people find anticipation difficult. Having spent my life doing jobs where anticipating problems was almost the core function that I performed, whether as a headmaster or as a head of academics, I know just how difficult it can be and just how painstakingly you have to sift through the options in order to try as best you can to minimize the least desirable ones or the chances of the least desirable ones emerging. But in our example we were thinking about something slightly different, although very much closely related to it. Namely, if we think about futures, and if we were more intelligent, if we were able to keep more things in our heads, as I suppose the best chess players can, although I suspect that they also have a, an uncanny intuition that tells them which moves aren't even worth considering and that reduces the computational expense considerably. But if you are trying to think about the future rather as you might in a game of chess then being able to do those calculations would be a sign of greater intelligence and it might also be a sign that we as a society would be able to plan better without the cost, the intellectual cost, the computational cost being as high as otherwise it almost certainly would be and is. I'm just taking my coat off because I came out expecting rain and now I've got clear blue skies and white fluffy clouds and quite a lot of warm sunshine so such are the burdens of walking in the autumn. Not that it is the autumn, yet, whatever they may tell you. However, we've now got two kinds of superintelligence which are related to one another, the ability to think many things at once and the ability to anticipate, to project further, but what about? I suppose you might call conceptual complexity what about the ability simply to imagine and manage more difficult ideas well the two conditions I've already suggested or characteristics I've already suggested would seem to point in that direction that we would see ourselves very much more in terms of keeping our options open and far less in terms of conceptual simplicity and that might automatically mean that we had a better grasp of things that are conceptually more extensive. I'm just going to stop for a second. Yes, I think what I want to say, what I'm trying to say is that the idea of being able to keep a track of multiple possibilities in the present and by extension to anticipate a wider range and a longer range of futures would automatically confer something closer to wisdom upon us. And that would be particularly the case if the other suggestions that I've made about the fact that the present isn't what it seems are well made for Because when we look at the present we are often predisposed to despair, to give up, You know, we have a a change of prime minister, we have the death of a queen, we have a war in Ukraine, we've got climate change. We've got a drought still in some parts of the country, although it's been raining much more unfortunately recently. We have the usual world poverty. We've almost forgotten the pandemic, but it's not far away. And so on. So, we could be forgiven for thinking that things are pretty grim but wisdom would say that maybe things aren't the way our most pessimistic interpretations represent them maybe we are habitually pessimistic and that there would be something to be said or there is something to be said Looking at a wider range of possibilities, many of which would give rise to optimism. And I don't for a moment see why that shouldn't be true. It's getting up. It'll be interesting to see whether the microphone is affected. And so, although I haven't given very much substance to the notion of superintelligence, I do think that thinking about longer term futures, being able to calculate further into the future, being able to do what Alpha Zero, the chess playing computer, can in a sense do. If you follow its games, and the wind really is getting up now I hope I'll get into the lee of a, sh- of a hedge in a second if you follow its games One of the things, I've never been a very good chess player, but one of the things that really strikes me about it is how it is single-mindedly fixated by the object of the game. Because human beings find thinking ahead so difficult we have what I suppose you could call interim strategies and they go by the names of things like controlling the centre of the board, winning material, uh, putting your pieces in strategic positions that time and time again have proved to be advantageous, developing your pieces as quickly as you can. All these interim rules that lead, eventually you hope, either to checkmate or to a position where the opponent resigns. Now when you watch Alpha Zero, it's very interesting how indifferent it is to many of these and indeed many of these strategies and it's just not evident in its play at all. It will give up material, it will behave in ways that a human player would think were weird, bizarre and almost certainly fatal, but that's because it can see further. And to take the point, that's an indication of what I've been trying to say that sometimes we have in life a series of interim strategies and they may be things like being happy. They may be things like getting a better job. They may be things like earning more money. And these are very much the equivalents in life of controlling the centre, developing your pieces, winning material and all the other things that we use as interim strategies in chess but they don't necessarily lead to whatever we regard as a fulfilled and happy life a life that is in some sense or other a success But Alpha Zero, when it plays chess, because it is only interested in that final goal, will sometimes make moves and sacrifice material, take detours, that are, at least to our intuitions, suicidal. And and I think that anyone listening to this who knows what I mean, will recognize what I'm talking about. I have, in my life, made a number of decisions that have involved considerable short-term disadvantage, distress, sometimes even uh, financial inconvenience, that have turned out, in the long term, to be better, I think one never knows of course, but better or led to better outcomes than if I'd simply hunkered down and stuck with what I'd got and hoped for the best. So maybe, and I will just say this and then stop, maybe the intuitions, the instincts, the motives that lead us sometimes to give up good jobs and take on things that seem at first sight counterintuitive are a little bit like the sacrifices that we make in chess or the bad positions that something like Alpha Zero will sometimes I won't say willingly because it's a computer but it will sometimes adopt, allow itself to adopt, because it sees further into the future. maybe our intuitions do allow us to see further into the future if we give them more credit for that. And that of course relates to episodes from a long time ago about the relationship between conscious and non-conscious cognition and that we are, most of us, too given to conscious thought Whereas if we left our non-conscious brains to themselves a bit more, they might well produce ideas, suggestions, thoughts that we might call intuitions that would in the long term prove better for us, perhaps better for everyone. It's just a thought. Thank you for listening.